Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming out in the cold weather on a Friday night to um, to hear me talk, because I'm nobody special. But um, my name is Kelly Miller. I am a member of the Texas Astronomical Society, but I'm also a solar system ambassador for NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and which is a volunteer role. So I want to make sure that I make everybody understands that I'm not an employee of NASA. I don't work for JPL. I'm just a volunteer, a very enthusiastic volunteer. And so I don't know the ins and outs of, of their missions like they do, the engineers do. But hopefully uh, you'll get a really good idea of the um, Curiosity rover and Mars a little bit. And uh, Bradford, who usually teaches this class, told me that some people had requested um, they, they wanted to learn about this mission, so he asked me if I would do a talk, and so <clears throat> And so here I am, and um, so there's a lot to talk about. So Curiosity's been on Mars for several months now, and so there's a lot to cover. Um, just wave me down if I'm talking too fast, because I get really excited, and, um, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and get started here. <clears throat> By the way, this picture that's up here, there's another one uh, version of it later in the presentation. This is a self-portrait that Curiosity took back in November. And uh, if you go to their website, which by the way, I have some uh, information on the rover up here and the website is listed there. I will also have it several times in the presentation. So the website for this mission is excellent. The videos, you can get raw images. It's fantastic. I spent hours just looking at different stuff. And, um, but they, there's a video that they, they put out that shows how um, Curiosity did the self-portrait, so it's very interesting. <clears throat> All right. So, oh, it's dark. <laughs> so this is a beginning astronomy class, and so I wanted to make sure that we talked a little bit about Mars, the planet, uh, which is the fourth rock from the sun, and um, <clears throat> and talk a little bit about um, the planet itself. So it is a small planet. It is the second smallest planet. Um, in the solar system, and it's about half the diameter of Earth. And um, it looks reddish because the minerals on the surface of the planet are made out of iron-rich minerals. And so you think about iron, when it rusts, it turns red. Uh, Mars has two moons, Phobos and Deimos, and they, uh, if you ever see pictures of the moons, they look like potatoes. They're not round like uh, normal, you know, moons would look because there's not enough gravity to make the the moons spherical. So um, they look like potatoes, and they the theory is is that they might have been asteroids that were captured by Mars. <coughs> there, uh, Mars has the largest volcanic mountain in the solar system, which is Olympus Mons. It's something like three times the height of Mount Everest, so it's a big a big mountain. <clears throat> Gravity uh, is about 38% of ours, so um, we were having a conversation about this today at work. We were talking about, I would love to go to Mars because that means I would weigh a lot less. The only thing is, it does not mean that a smaller, I would be able to wear a smaller pair of pants. <laughs> so, I, you know, <clears throat> interesting. Mars has very little atmosphere. A day on Mars is very close to ours, just a, about 40 minutes longer, uh, 24.623 hours, and uh, they call a day on Mars a soul. 
a year is 1.88 Earth years, so it takes almost um, two Earth years to make one orbit around the sun. Temperature swings uh, from minus 225 degrees all the way as high as 95 degrees. 95 degrees Fahrenheit was recorded by Spirit, which is one of the other the little rovers that's no longer with us, but um, still up there, um, and it did uh, record that high of a temperature. That's not an average temperature, and that was also on the equator. The minus 225 is near the polar caps. So big temperature swings. Average distance to the sun is about 141 million miles. Um, what else? At one time, we do know that Mars had a lot of water on its surface, and um, it has a, a you know, very similar to Earth, it has a lot of impact craters, it has volcanoes, valleys, deserts, um, and the polar caps. It also has uh, its uh, rotational axes is uh, tilted just like Earth's, and uh, so it has seasons just like Earth. So now, Curiosity launched on November the 26th of 2011 from Kennedy Space Center in Florida. And it has several scientific goals. The first one is they want to determine if the landing site, if, if its uh, habitability inc includes, uh, including the role of water. The landing site is called Gale Crater. They spent a number of years researching where they wanted to go, and they're very excited so far about what they've seen already. There's still a long ways to go. They want to study the climate and geology of Mars, um, preparation for a future manned mission to Mars, and uh, there are a total of uh, <clears throat> 10 instruments on the rover. Um, now before we send a, a human to Mars, well, accepting the um, mission that was announced this week by a private billionaire, um, if we ever do a manned mission where we actually land on Mars, before we do that, most likely we will do some kind of a, a sample return mission where we will send a rover or a lander or something to gather some samples and bring those back to Earth, which will be a good test to see um, how we do. So the primary mission is one Martian year, which is about 98 weeks or approximately two Earth years. Now that's what, for the little rovers, Spirit and Opportunity, their mission life was 90, uh, 90 days. And we're now going into 10 years for those missions. <laughs> So we could extend this one as well. This is the website that I was telling you about. Um, it is listed on the back of the, the big picture of Curiosity. And again, it's a terrific uh, website. <coughs> so there are um, 10 science instruments on, um, I don't know if I have, I brought my laser, but I don't know what to do with it. Um, there's 10 science instruments on board Curiosity. Um, I did want to mention that this rover weighs almost 2,000 pounds. It has about 165 pounds just in instruments. The little rover Spirit and Opportunity in total only weighs 384 pounds. So you can see the difference. Curiosity is about 7 feet tall, about 9 feet wide, and almost 10 feet long. So think of a small, like a, an SUV, only a little bit taller. 
And I do have a 3D image of it and some 3D glasses that you can take a look at a little bit later. It gives you a really good perspective. This was when it was in the clean room. <clears throat> um, one of the things, uh, I'm going to look briefly at all of the instruments, but I wanted to point out this right back here. That is the power um, for the rover. Um, all of the previous, uh, like the Phoenix Lander, the um, Spirit and Opportunity, they use solar arrays to get power. The problem with that is that there's lots of dust. And when the solar arrays get dust on them, it causes problems. And this uh, rover needs a lot of power to run all these instruments. And so they chose a nuclear route. So this has uh, nuclear power. And uh, it's, uh, actually, Joe, it's very similar to the one going to Pluto that we learned about last week. It is a really terrific generator is what <laughs> Dr. Stern called it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it does have, um, it's a nuclear generator. What else do I want to do? Oh, it has, the wheels, has six wheels. The wheels are about 20 inches in diameter. The arm itself is seven feet long. The turret that's down here at the bottom weighs about 75 pounds. So it's a, it's a good size rover. So, let's look at the, the instruments very quickly. The one up at the top is called uh, the ChemCam. Uh, the ChemCam uh, is a laser with a spectrometer in it. And so, and it also has a high definition camera in it. Um, actually, there are a total of 17 cameras, um, several of which are high definition. They can, for the first time on Mars, capture high definition video. Um, so, some pretty exciting stuff there. But what this instrument does is it shoots a laser at a rock and the sparks that come off of the rock uses they use the spectrometer that's in that instrument to look at the colors of the sparks to determine what kind of minerals might be in that rock and then they decide if it's an, if it might be something interesting if it's not then the rover keeps on moving now the next one of the most striking features is the eyes of the rover there's actually two cameras here, and then there's two navigation cameras there. What do you notice about the two eyes? Well, different apertures. Right. Okay, so we have a wide zoom and a, and a regular uh, camera there. <clears throat> okay. Then right below the um, mass cam that we were just looking at is the Rover Environmental Monitoring Station, or RIMS. Of course, you know, with NASA, there's lots of acronyms. <coughs> but there are two booms that come off of the mast that measure wind speed and temperature, all kinds of things. Unfortunately, when the rover landed, they think due to vibration or something else, one of the booms got disconnected or something came loose and it's not working. However, the one that is working is working very well. Um, it was actually able to detect a dust storm that was many, many miles away on the on the um, on Mars. So, um, so it's still working. Were those two monitoring systems supposed to each be doing something different, or was it a redundancy? It well, it's redundancy also, but they're facing different directions. Ah, okay. So you you got wind coming this way, or you got wind coming this way. <coughs> And speaking of redundancy, all of the, you know, the computer systems and everything else are redundant, just like they do on every spacecraft, um, which is a good thing because just in the last day or so, 
they've had to switch to computer B uh, because there was a memory problem with computer A. So while they're working out that issue, they had to switch all the software over to the other computer. So now we have three rock analyzers on the rover. One is called APXS and uh, just identifies the chemical elements in rocks. But your two primary instruments on board that are, uh, this is what we're looking for, <coughs> is the Kimmon and the SAM. Kimmon um, uses, um, it uses x-ray diffraction um, to identify and measure the abundances of minerals. SAM is probably the largest instrument on the rover and it's looking for organics, which is the whole, which is the big part of this mission. They're looking for organics, things like carbon or things related to carbon or methane. Um, so the building blocks of life. On the end of the rover's arm, there is a, a camera called the MOLLE or the Mars Hand Lens Imager. It's like a magnifying glass with a light. So this is for the, the previous missions. They've had these cameras um, that can take close-up pictures, but they can't work when there's a shadow or at nighttime. This camera will be able to operate if there's a shadow caused by the sun or if it's at night. And this is the camera that they use for the self-portrait. So we can do some pretty neat stuff. Then there's two radiation detectors. We have the RAD and the DAN. And the RAD was actually used during the spacecraft's transit to Mars. Um, sometime, probably about two or three months after launch, there was a huge solar storm. And so they turned that instrument on so that they could see if they could detect radiation coming from that solar storm and what kind of effect it would have on the spacecraft. Even though the spacecraft was inside the you know, protective shell, they wanted to see. And they, they were able to detect some, um, some stuff coming from that solar storm. <coughs> it was pretty neat. The Mars Descent Imager, or MARTY, the camera on the left is actually on the bottom of the rover. And um, the picture on the right, we're going to watch the video in just a moment, the high definition video of this. Um, but they recorded the entire descent down to Mars um, from the time that the heat shield comes off, which is what that piece is there, all the way until it may touch down. And so we're going to look at that video in a minute. And the robotic arm that I mentioned earlier is about seven feet long, and it has a whole bunch of instruments. You can think of it as a Swiss Army knife um, for the rover. It has a jackhammer drill and a rock brush, the camera that we were just looking at, the Molly, and um, what else does it have? <coughs> a spectrometer. And um, so it has all kinds of tools. Of course, it's a turret, so it spins around and it can turn sideways. <coughs> And um, so it's, it's the workhorse of the rover. Now, the powder acquisition drill system. I was on a conference call with JPL. See the guy in the picture back there? That is um, Dr. Robert Anderson. He actually designed the drill system on the rover. And that's a picture of him testing it. They tested this thing, I don't know, thousands of times before they sent it up. <coughs> Um, but anyway, it was the whole conference call was just about the drill because they were getting ready to drill for the first time and um, it's fascinating stuff. Um, what happens is, here's the drill. It's a jackhammer type drill that, that also rotates and um, 
when it drills into the rock, the powder that comes from the rock goes up into the drill. It comes down this little thing here and it goes into a scoop. And I'm going to show you pictures of the scoop in a minute. And then they take the scoop, they shake it and so that they can get rid of some really large particles. And then the scoop takes it and puts it into the instruments, either the Kemet or the SAM. Now, I circled the drill bit up there. Learn something very interesting. Don't say it if you know what it is. <laughs> but they were trying to find a drill bit that would, you know, hold up to what they needed to be able to do. They weren't sure, you know, what, what the rock composition was going to be like. So they found these drill bits at Home Depot. <laughs> They're Hilti drill bits. They tested them and tested them and tested them and said, wow, this is going to work great. But the problem was that they had such stringent cleanliness requirements and the drill bits themselves had something on them and they didn't want that contaminating, you know, a, a substance from earth contaminating the results that they got from the rock samples. And so they, they called up Hilti and they said, this is NASA, we're going to send your drill bits to Mars and we would like to know if we can get the specs, the complete specs for these drill bits. They said no. So they sent the drill bits to the lab at JPL and within four hours they had the complete specs and realized that the drill bits were covered in some kind of paraffin um, coating. And so they, they used an acid wash and they were able to get all that stuff off. The rover has three drill bits so if, it, if one breaks they can just drop it, the rover can go to the storage area and get another one and be good to go. Because the drill is really going to be the, one of the big instruments uh, <coughs> to get the, the rock samples. I can't believe Hilti said no. Yeah, they said no. So anyway, NASA did call Hilti back and said, guess what? <laughs> your drill bits will work and we didn't need your specs, by the way. <coughs> Alright, um, I'm a ham radio operator and there are several of us that are. And so I found this very interesting. The wheels have these little cutouts in them that spell out JPL in Morse code. So if you look at the tracks for the wheels, it spells out JPL. I thought that was kind of cool. The, uh, the wheel system is very interesting, by the way. They base it off of um, a rocker bogey system, which is kind of like what they have on trains. And um, so all of the, you know, the wheels kind of move independently. I think they can actually um, release any of the six wheels. So if one gets stuck, and then they can keep on going. Because that's what happened to one of the rovers. Um, it got stuck and they couldn't, couldn't go anywhere after that. <coughs> that's how Spirit died, yeah. Yes. They couldn't maneuver it to, uh, to a hill to get uh, sunlight during the winter time and it froze. All right, so um, there were about, um, right now there's probably anywhere from like 200 or so JPL engineers, about 400 scientists around the world that are working on this mission. There were thousands and thousands of people around the world that actually worked on this mission. It took um, somewhere between eight and nine years to, um, to go from beginning to, to launch. <coughs> and um, so in a moment I'm going to show you a couple of videos and um, I want to tell you about a couple of very important people that, um, did anybody watch the landing by the way? I stayed home on a Monday because it was in the middle of the night. The landing was at 12.30 in the morning. Um, so I stayed at home so I could, I could watch it. it. It was awesome. Anyway, if you watch the landing, then you will recognize these people because they became like rock stars. 
after the, the landing. <laughs> and um, so I'm going to um, tell you a little bit about those, but let's think back to like the Apollo era. Think of the mission control. What, what did those people look like, those guys, that, those engineers? What, what do you think of? Suits. Suits, white shirts, yeah, what white else? Shirt, white shirts, black tie, glasses, pocket protectors. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. They're yep. really interesting. They might wear a boat. Slide rule. Slide rule. Slide yeah. rule, yes. <laughs> yeah. Saw a few of those on the table. Times have changed, let yeah. me tell you. Cigars, <clears throat> pipes. Okay. The first, well, I'm, I'm going to show you in a minute the, the landing sequence, which is just absolutely incredible. If you've ever seen the video of this thing, this guy that I'm going to show you, Adam Stelsner, the rock and roll engineer, he was the lead for the entire land, entry, landing, and descent, um, descent and landing procedure. And um, he grew up in a very wealthy family out in California. He did terrible in school. He failed geography, and he just decided the school was not for him. So when he graduated from high school, he played drums and bass in a band, played in a rock band for a couple of years. And he was coming home from his gigs every night, and he noticed that Orion, the constellation, was never in the same place every night. And that just fascinated him. He wanted to know why. So he dropped out of his bands. He went to his local community college and decided to... Um, take an astronomy class. The only problem was was that in order to take the astronomy class, he also had to take a physics class. And here he is, he's failed geography. His dad told him that the only thing he would ever be good at would be digging ditches. And so anyway, he just excelled. He was so fascinated by all this. He went on to get his PhD in um, engineering. And um, he was, uh, he's been at JPL for a long time. He was He's worked on the Galileo program, Cassini, and uh, the Mars Pathfinder, and Spirit and Opportunity. He was responsible for the landing of those as well. And um, uh, anyway, so it's, it's pretty fascinating. Um, and that was him at the end after they landed his response. And then there's this guy, the <laughs> Mohawk guy, Bobak Ferdosi. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name. Um, but for every mission like this, he has a hairdo. This is a mohawk. Notice the gold stars on the cut into the side of his head. He's got pink and purple in his, in his hair. Um, he also attended the inauguration parade this year, and he was at the State of the Union address. He was sitting with Michelle Obama, and he had a special do for that as well. He had NASA painted in red, I mean Mars painted in red on the side of his head. Um, but anyway, this guy is pretty incredible too. He's an MIT, went to MIT, and um, he was the flight director for the landing of Curiosity. So some pretty um, big changes between the Apollo era and now, um, but still some really incredible um, smart guys. And I was going to read to you what, um, right after the landing occurred, President Obama called the Curiosity team and to congratulate him, and he said, um, he made a note of the popularity of um, the Mohawk guy, and he said, you guys are a little cooler than you used to be. Um, <laughs> he said, um, <clears throat> so uh, anyway, uh, let's see, anything else? No, okay. <clears throat> now, Clara Mall um, was a little girl 
I think she was about nine at the time, um, from Kansas. She beat out 9,000 applicants to name the rover. And she wrote a, an incredible essay, um, which I'm not going to read to you, but it wasn't very long, so you can go Google it and, and look at it. It's pretty neat. But she named the rover. And this is a picture of her just a day or two before the landing. Uh, she was actually there. Um, she got to sign her name on the rover itself. She signed it in English as well as um, Chinese, I believe. And then she wrote Curiosity on there, which is pretty neat. Very sharp young lady. <clears throat> I think she's now 15 or 16. Okay, so this is the entry, descent, and landing, and I'll go through it very quickly. When um, it, it takes seven minutes from the time that it hits Mars's atmosphere until it makes a touchdown. And so up here, you have the crew stage, separates from the, uh, the back part, and when it makes entry interface, it starts decelerating. The parachute deploys, the heat shield comes off, and at the moment that the heat shield comes off is when the um, the camera on the bottom, Marty starts uh, filming. They also use, have a radar on the bottom so that they can try to find a flat area to land the rover. Then the back shell separates from the, the rover, and I call it the jetpack, but it's the uh, powered descent, and it just gently sets it down when it's about 60 feet off the air, I mean off the ground. It lowers the rover down on tethers, three tethers, and um, sets it down and then flies away. And so uh, in a moment when I show you the first video, they have an animation of that. I want to make sure you know that it's just an animation and not what, what actually happened. Then when we see the second video, you'll see the, you know, the ground getting closer in the, in the camera. And this uh, sequence here was so crazy that Adam Stelzner, the first guy that I showed you, he had, he had to make a trip to Washington, D.C. to explain to them <laughs> why this was going to work. All the previous, um, like the Phoenix Lander, Spirit and Opportunity, when they landed, they used this airbag thing where it, they, it just dropped to the ground and just kind of rolls. Well, when, it's, when you have a 2,000-pound rover, you can't do that. This ain't going to work. <clears throat> this is an a artist concept of the what I call the jetpack, and uh, you can see the three tethers. This was an umbilical <coughs> cord that had all the electrical um, power and stuff, communications. <coughs> so, the peanuts, yeah, let me tell you about the peanuts. It's sort of a tradition with JPL. Um, it started back during the Ranger program, which was a mission to the moon back in the 60s, or was it the 60s? Yeah, in the 1960s, and um, they weren't having very good luck. Um, all the missions were failing, and somehow they just started eating peanuts, and everything started going really well. So it's a tradition to have a um, canister of peanuts um, at all the missions <coughs> in the mission control room. So, um, yeah, sci scientists aren't uh, superstitious at all. <laughs> no, they also have this marble thing too that was a, like a Mars-colored marbles, and I where they had a countdown to the landing day and they, on the marbles they'd move from one jar to the other, something like that. Okay, so seven minutes of terror. I'm going to do a little easy math here. Let's say that the, um, oh, and I should tell you that it <coughs> takes, at the time, it takes 14 minutes for communication to reach from Mars back to Earth, okay? 
So let's say that the actual time that um, curiosity enters the atmosphere is at 12.10. So if it takes seven minutes to land, that means that the landing, um, the actual landing time is what? 12.17. 12.17. So now, um, the rover has entered Earth's atmosphere <coughs> at 12.10. I said it takes 14 <coughs> minutes for communication to reach Earth. So what time did we get confirmation that it had reached? or that it had entered the atmosphere? 1224. 1224. So take a look at that for just a minute. It's already <laughs> on the ground. Yep. Didn't so then seven, seven minutes. minutes later, at 1231, we're just finding out. So we had to wait a long time before we knew for sure that it had landed. So if you had worked on a mission for eight or nine years, and you're sitting in that <coughs> control, what are you thinking? <laughs> when you see the video in a minute, you'll, in a minute you'll see what Adam was thinking. <laughs> so here again are some of the people. Um, we already talked about two of them. Alan Chin is the uh, narrator that you will hear um, in the uh, in the video. Charles Bolden is the NASA administrator. He is. You just get a quick glimpse of him, but he's sitting on the back row where all the VIPs, where the big bosses were sitting. Um, Bill Nye, you'll see in the first video, he was at a Planet Fest nearby JPL, and um, so he was kind of uh, cheering on <coughs> some crowds. And then that's the first image from Mars. So if you were watching the, uh, the landing, very shortly after it landed, they were able to get this first thumbnail. And it's a little grainy, but the reason that is is that this camera had a dust cover on it. And so once they took the, du they took the dust covers off, then you get much better pictures. So, let's watch this first video. Come on in. Thanks. They're looking good. Coming up on the And that's an animation. Okay, we'll report that trainer face. At this time, we'll be in pressurizing the propulsion system to increase the thrust of the system. Uh, we use that for all the maneuvering atmosphere we're about to do.
we've lost that, we've lost tones from Earth at this time. This is expected. Uh, we're continuing on Odyssey telemetry. They're referring to the Odyssey spacecraft. Ground elevation equals minus 10.8 meters. Vertical velocity of minus 80. We are priming. Charlie's like started. Able standing by for vaginal separation. And here you're going to see the jerk. Tangled Odyssey is still strong. We are in power flight. So now it gets a little more smoother, and we're getting real close to the ground here. Watch for the wheel, we're right on up in here. Single to us, you're going down to 50 meters per second. 500 meters now, too. Staying by for Skycrane. Constant velocity accordion nominal. Altitude error 5.9 meters. We found a nice flat place. I'm ready for Skycrane. Down to 10 meters per second. 40 meters altitude. There's the wheel. Skycrane is started. Sending at about 175 meters per second as expected. Expecting final cut shortly. Tangled Oz, you remain strong. Tango down phenomenal. That means touchdown. Oh. Now notice there's no, you don't yeah. see any dust. Uh, you can you just see pebbles on the ground. New attempt is good. Touchdown confirmed. Proceed. So that's a pretty, a pretty neat perspective of um, of the landing. So if they want to use this technology again, now um, there are t there's a couple of other spacecraft that are orbiting Mars. You have the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter. You have the Mars Odyssey. There's also the Mars Express, which is a European Space Agency um, uh, uh, spacecraft, which is kind of a backup for us. But um, the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter took some incredible pictures, and they had to do quite um, some interesting things. They had it took them several months to write the software so that they could capture some of these images because the um, they had to roll the camera and they had to roll the cameras on the spacecraft a lot further than they're supposed to go. And so they had to do a lot of maneuvering. And also, this spacecraft was very low on the horizon, so it was amazing that it, it was able to capture. But that's a picture of the parachute after it was deployed, and um, you can see the, the spacecraft underneath it, <coughs> which is pretty cool. And then this is an image also from um, MRO that shows where all the pieces landed. So. You have Curiosity, which, by the way, they named the landing spot for Curiosity after the Bra Bradbury landing after uh, Ray Bradbury. But you'll see how it's darker here mm -hmm. um, from the jets. Yeah, all the dust is blowing. Mm -hmm. The heat shield is over here. You have the back shell and the parachute. And then the sky crane. That was the, the jet pack where it flew off to. They actually have some other images. I don't know if you saw in the video, but as it's coming through the atmosphere, these they pop. They use pyros to pop off these ballasts that were just weights to try to reshift the center of gravity. And they actually have images of those, all six of those ballasts on the ground as well, which is amazing. <coughs> okay, so we're gonna very quickly. Um, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about what's happened since uh, the rover landed. Um, the first thing they did was, uh, for several days, a couple of weeks, 
They all they did was they did health checks, they took some pictures, and they uploaded some new software. When they launched Curiosity, it just had the landing sequence software on board. <coughs> and so they had to swap that software out for um, for the uh, the actual mission software. On the 19th, it zapped the first rock called Coronation. And um, by the way, Curiosity is on Twitter. So you can follow the tweets. And uh, when she zapped her first rock, her tweet was pew, pew. <laughs> <laughs> this is pretty funny. Um, on the uh, 22nd, um, she had her very first drive. They, and I already told you they named the landing site Bradbury Landing. On August the 27th, they transmitted from the rover back to Earth the very first human voice from Mars. They had a pre-recorded message from Administrator Bolden, and um, so they, they received that back on Earth. On August the 28th, the next day, they had the very first song ever transmitted from another planet by Will I Am called Reach for the Stars. And um, they did a little documentary about it. You can also see that on the internet. And um, he got a bunch of kids involved to sing. And I don't know if you're familiar with Will I Am from the Black Eyed Peas, but he is a huge supporter of NASA. He's also a big sponsor of the FIRST Robotics. And um, so he, he actually went to a, um, like a science and math magnet high school in California. So um, he's very, uh, very interested in science. Let me show you a couple of pictures. Um, this is a picture of the rock that she zapped. And uh, it showed, I don't know if you can see it, but <clears throat> you can see a little hole. Uh, laser's going up. There's a little hole right there that uh, she zapped with the, the laser. And then before she took her first drive, they tested all the wheels and the arm. And I called it the hokey pokey. So they stuck the arm out, pulled it back in, stuck the arm out, pulled it back in. They put the wheel out, put it back in, the wheel out. <laughs> she did the hokey pokey. <clears throat> And then this is a picture that uh, she took with the mask cam. Those are the eye cameras that were on the mast. And um, this, is, this is pretty far away. So it's an amazing picture. But it shows, um, this is the base of Mount Sharp, which is where she's heading. But look at all the striations in the, in the rocks. And so they're very excited about seeing what that's all about. Those striations tell you the history of, of that material there. All right, in September, um, began doing some robotic arm work and some vibration testing. Now, one of the scary things about sending any spacecraft anywhere is uh, worry about contamination. You, they do everything they can to try to clean it and uh, to take all the precautions and testing and all <coughs> that, um, but they still have to do some cleaning. And so the vibration testing on the scoop was just to make sure that they get all any potential material from Earth out of the scoop because that's the, that's the device that's going to put the rock samples into the instruments. They want to make sure that there's no um, Earth-made materials or Earth materials from Earth. <clears throat> September the 14th, they find an old stream bed. I'm going to show you pictures of that. And she touched her very first rock on the 22nd. So take a look at this picture. Both, both of those pictures look very similar, don't they? <clears throat> Um, and what this is is a stream bed. Actually, both of them are stream, stream beds. Um, one of them is from Earth, and one of them is from Mars. Which one do you think is from Mars? One on the left. One on the left. That's right, because it's red. See all that red? 
But see how similar it is to the one on Earth? Lots of um, interesting stuff. And then this uh, picture on the left is the SAM instrument. Those are the inlet covers. That's where she takes the scoop and dumps the material down into. So it's just an animation that shows you the covers opening and closing. <clears throat> and then this is that first rock that she inspected. It's a pretty, it's about a football sized uh, rock. In October, she arrived at an area called Rock Nest and she spent quite a bit of time there. On October the 3rd, she checked in on Foursquare. Has anybody ever checked in on Foursquare? <laughs> um, it's a social media type thing where if you go to a restaurant or a museum or something, you can check in and you earn points and badges. And, um, by the way, if you have Foursquare and you go to a science museum, anything that's designated in Foursquare as a science museum, you will get the Curiosity Rover badge, which is that little picture on the bottom right. And I have it. I went to the Perot last month. <clears throat> October the second, uh, seventh, she did her first, got her first scoop of material, and then they found a very bright object on the ground, and this was problematic because it did not look like it came from Mars. It turns out that it was a little piece of plastic, and uh, they think it was some kind of a cover on a wire, something that may have dropped off of the rover um, during the, you know, violent landing procedure. They found another bright object later, but it turned out to be Mars, a Mars object. The first soil sample was delivered to the Kimmen instrument on October the 17th. Um, the picture on the left is a picture of the scoop and what it looks, you know, I mean the actual scoop in the ground. The one on the right is the soil that's in the scoop itself. Now what happens is, is that uh, they did extensive testing on this rover and they determined that they would do a a cleaning procedure three times and that would guarantee that there would be no earth material left. And so they, she scoops up the, the material in the scoop, shakes it, and then dumps it out. And then she scoops up some more, shakes it, and then dumps it out. So she did that three times um, before she ever put any uh, material into the instrument. November. Um, at the very beginning of the month is when she took the self-portrait that I showed you at the beginning. Um, November the 6th, um, they decided to switch back to Earth time. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Mars day is about 40 minutes longer than ours. And uh, so it was getting to the point where the JPL engineers were like working really late hours. And so they switched back to Earth time and now they're kind of on an 8 to 8. I think they have two shifts that work. The SAM instrument was used for the first time. That's the sample analysis at Mars. That's one of the principal instruments. Um, on November the 10th, monitoring of a Martian storm. And what was interesting is that you have opportunity. So if you have the, have the Mars, um, opportunity is over here. Curiosity is over here. That dust storm was kind of in the middle. And both the rovers were able to pick up um, <coughs> Uh, see some environmental things going on with that dust storm, even though it was hundred mi hundreds of miles away. Um, on November the 26th, it had been one year since the launch, so I had a little celebration there. There's another picture of the self-portrait. Um, it's actually a mosaic of 55 images that they stitched together from that uh, camera that's on the robotic arm. And 
And um, on the left, you can see the five scoops that she took, that she got. And then this is uh, another uh, instrument there. <clears throat> oh, and I was going to point out, these little black and white this you see them all over the rover. Those are camera calibration targets that they use uh, to uh, make sure that the cameras are calibrated. Okay. Now we're on to December. Am I going too fast? Are y'all awake? Mm -hmm. no. Okay. All right. Just check. On now. At the very end of November, did anybody listen to NPR? Okay. And I was listening this morning. John Gratzinger, who is like one of the um, big project managers for this mission, told NPR that they were going to make an, a big announcement at the American, Geo, what is it, American Geophysical uh, Society meeting on December the 3rd, and that it was going to be earth-shattering. So, of course, for several days, everybody's on pins and needles. Okay, what is this announcement? What is this announcement? Well, they sort of backtracked right after that and said, you know, we really meant, you know, the whole mission is going to be earth-shaking. We just know that it's going to be, but we don't have anything really big to tell you right now. So, on December the 3rd, um, they did make an announcement of that first soil sample. Um, they detected water, sulfur, uh, chlorine-containing substances and some other ingredients, but no organics. Uh, so that's what we thought the earth-shattering thing was, is that, oh my gosh, they found some kind of organics. But no. They thought they had detected a little bit of methane, but they determined that it was probably, it probably came from Earth. On December the 4th, the very next day, they announced a new rover that will be going to Mars, I believe it's in 2020. And uh, they are actually going to use some spare parts from Curiosity. And um, so they made that announcement. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. In December, on December the 11th, Curiosity arrived at an area called Yellowknife Bay, which is where she's at right now. And starting on December the 21st, uh, she took a little holiday break at Grandma's house <laughs> because they found this little area that looked like a river. And so, and she was going to take a bunch of pictures like you do at Grandma's house. So through the river and what is it? Over, over the, the river. river. And, yeah. So they named it Grandma's house. And um, just before um, the area called Yellowknife Bay is this area that they call Shaler. Very interesting huh. um, geological things going on here. In January, everybody comes back from vacation and she continues driving in Yellowknife Bay, um, finds a snake-like rock formation called Snake River, and on January the 6th, uh, she used her rock brush for the very first time. So not a lot going on in, in January. After she used the rock brush for the first time, pretty much the rest of January was just getting prepared to use the drill for the first time. So they, they do everything really slowly and um, so that was pretty much all of January. Now this is the <coughs> Snake River. If you see this little thing here, it looks like a snake. What's interesting about Yellowknife Bay and why they're spending a lot of time here is that the um, geology and all of the features are completely different than the landing site. 
And so they found some really interesting things they wanted to spend some time looking at. This is what the, uh, when she used her rock brush for the very first time. The rock brush is made out of stainless steel and they wanted to do a test to make sure that that stainless steel is not going to uh, scratch the rocks. And um, so this was a little test that they did. Okay, now up to February. Lots going on in February. On February the 2nd, um, she did her first drill test. And what, what it was is she just touched the rock with the top of the or the bottom of the drill and um, just kind of did a little test to see um, see how it was going to work. And then on February the 8th, the very first drill of a rock performed on another planet occurred. On February the 20th, which was just a few days ago, they received confirmation that the powder from the drill actually made it into the scoop. If you remember that picture that I showed you, the rock powder goes up the drill and it goes through all this stuff and then ends up in the scoop. And they got pictures back from Curiosity that confirmed that it had made it there. And then on February the 22nd and 23rd, um, the rover delivered a little sample. Now these samples that, they, that Curiosity delivers to the instruments is about a baby aspirin. If you crushed a baby aspirin up, that's about how much that she drops down in there. So not very much. So she vibrates most of it out, gets all the big pieces out, and then takes what's left. At this point, um, she's not done any driving for quite a while, almost a couple of months, and the odometer is uh, almost at the half mile mark. And uh, as of today, it is Sol 202. So she's been on Mars for 202 Mars days, Martian days. <clears throat> and um, from now on, now that they've kind of, they've tested all of the instruments now, once they did the drill, the drilling, that was, that was the end of the uh, testing of the instruments. And they are going to start driving her towards Mount Sharp. It's going to take about nine months for her to get there. And uh, they will stop along the way and, um, um, and look at some rocks and do some different things if they find anything interesting. This is a picture of the drill, um, a hole. The, um, the hole itself was about two and a half inches deep and just a little over a half inch wide. So there's, there's actually two, uh, two holes there. Now what do you notice about the powder that came out of that rock? It's a different color. It is a different color, which was a surprise. Uh, sort of a surprise, I think. <clears throat> so uh, they're gonna be interested to see. Um, it'll be probably a few weeks before we find out what the uh, instruments told us about that. All right, this is a traverse map um, as of February the 21st. And you'll notice that around Seoul 166, there isn't anything else. And that's because she's been pretty much in the same spot since day 166. There's Bradbury Landing. You can see all the uh, stuff that the jets blew up. And this was the, um, shortly after the landing, probably about an hour or so. I don't know if any of you stayed up that late <laughs> to watch this, but this was the first conference call that they had after the landing. And um, it was quite incredible. And um, 
their theme was kind of dare mighty things. And I kind of used the saying that um, last week at the Texas Astronomical Society meeting, we had Dr. Alan Stern, who is the principal investigator of the New Horizons mission that's going to Pluto. And he had something like three slides that said the same thing. It said, it said only in America can we do this, and, um, which is pretty incredible. So, I mean, I just think this whole mission is, is uh, amazing. And I was telling somebody earlier that every time I watch the video of the landing, I, I have to get Kleenex out because it's, it's really cool. <clears throat> um, coming up, at the end of this year is the targeted November of this year. It's the targeted launch date for the MAVEN mission, which is, I have to read this, the Mars Atmosphere and Volatile Evolution Mission. And it will go to Mars, orbit around Mars, and study the upper atmosphere. So it'll be the first mission where um, they're going to study the upper atmosphere. And of course, if you've been watching the news, you saw this guy, Dennis Tito, is that Tito. his name? Tito. Um, privately funded round trip to Mars, takes about 500 days. And he says they're going to launch January of 2018. So anybody that's a middle-aged married couple, that's what he's looking for. And um, they were joking on CNN a couple of days ago that they thought they might need to send Dr. Phil with the married couple. <laughs> <laughs> or at least have radio check-ins. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so these are some of the websites, the Twitter account. Um, there's actually a website that you can go to and drive the rover around. It's pretty fun. Um, and again, these... Uh, this uh, uh, photo that I have up here on the back has the websites on it. And uh, but any questions? Yes. What have they learned about Mars? Um, not a whole lot yet, because um, again, they have spent the six months or whatever it is uh, testing all the systems, mm -hmm. and um, so they have done. They have gotten some analysis back from the instruments, but they haven't found anything that's you know organics or anything exciting like that yet. What do you think about that NPR announcement? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> one of two things. Either he just was really excited or um, or they know something that we don't know. <laughs> I think what it is, though, is that, again, when they first, um, they were, I think they got a little ahead of themselves because when they first uh, did got the analysis back from that those first few samples back in October, they found methane which is an organic material and can only be produced by you know us and stuff and so i guess so um <clears throat> so i think they were getting a little they got a little overexcited so but then they kind of decided you know what that's probably nothing maybe an organic material but there's an awful lot of it in space yeah I mean. yeah yeah anything else pass over Mars. It's literally there and back. Yeah. 
<laughs> something smaller than a Winnebago. Yeah, yeah that's something small. much smaller than a Winnebago. Yeah, it's it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be small. Uh, anything else? And I was going to mention um, I, I um, when they did the testing of the rover and that clean procedure. Their requirements was that it, they, it couldn't have more than, was it 40 parts per billion uh, contaminants uh, that come from Earth. And um, so when they did the testing procedure, that was how they came up with the three scoops and dump, three scoops and dump before they did anything. That was, when they did their extensive testing, they found that that was what got rid of the, the Earth's mound. Yes? There was one screw up on that though. What was that? The drill bit that was mounted in the drill. They were afraid that the drill would not be able to reach the magazine that held all the drill bits. Mm -hmm. So before the launch, still on the launch pad, they went ahead and mounted the drill bit. Not in the clean room. Yep. Oops. <laughs> yes? Tell me, what um, sort of information will this Twitter um, give me? Well, of course, do you know anything about Twitter? I'm not using Okay. Twitter is a social media thing, and you have 140 characters to say something, okay? So it, it, the way they do it is they make it sound like it's really coming from curiosity, but there's somebody back at JPL that's, that does all this stuff. And almost every, well, in fact, I say every NASA research center has a Twitter account. Um, NASA is probably one of the most active social media users. They have Facebook, Twitter, Google. They do Google Plus Hangouts. I think they had one yesterday, as a matter of fact. Um, so, whenever there's a little news announcement, something that's new, they will, um, Curiosity will tweet about it and usually put a link. So it'll be a link to a, a new photo that's come back, a new video that's come back, or a, a news release that, that will usually take you to the NASA website. <clears throat> yep. And of course, sometimes, you know, she'll, she'll just say funny things like the pew, 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 <laughs> when she did the laser. I remember seeing that one on Twitter. <laughs> that was cute. Yeah, so whoever does it is, they're really good. <laughs> Any other questions? So I think this is a, I think it's a fantastic mission already. I mean, they really haven't done a lot of science yet, but um, I, I think we're, we're going to, it's going to be a, a great mission. Okay. And of course, I want to tell you a little bit about the Texas Astronomical Society, which I'm a member of. Um, you can go to our website at texasastro.org. You've probably seen this a hundred times if you've been here before, but um, if you go to the calendar up at the top of the page, you can find out about all of our events, which are always free and open to the public. We have our monthly meeting on the fourth Friday of the month at UTD. And um, if you missed it, we had a fantastic speaker last Friday really really good <clears throat> and um, and then of course our weekly star parties first Saturday is the star geezer star party in Garland at Spring Park um, second Saturday is uh, star fest at Frisco Commons Park which is a really nice uh, park third Saturday is the star bolt at the uh, J.W. Williams Park in Cedar Hill and fourth Saturday is Joe's um, stars on the rock in uh, Rockwall and you can get, uh, if you go to the calendar, you can get um, more information about the a map, how to get there, and, um, and all that information. And if, uh, usually we will have, you know, if the weather's not good, we won't have it, but um, 
but we have these every pretty much every week. If there's a fifth Saturday, we don't have anything. So, and of course, we have lots of other things going on too, like the Farmers Branch Historical Park, which is a really nice um, park. We do um, in the spring and in the fall. We have star parties there. We have one coming up. Was it March the twelfth? Mm. Uh, no, the nineteenth, I think. Um, <clears throat> and with the backup date on the twenty-first. And, and again, these are all free, so if you want to learn about telescopes or just to learn more about the night sky, it's a great place to go. Um, every week, in association with the Dallas Amateur Radio Club, at 9 o'clock on Saturdays, uh, from 9 to about 10.30, we have what is called Skynet! <laughs> Did I do it just like Tom does? Cool. Okay, all right. Um, and if you're a ham radio operator, uh, the repeater information is the Dallas repeater, the 146.88. Um, or if you're far away like me, I live out in the boonies, so I have to go on Echolink, which is a computer software uh, that will let you uh, check in there if you're a ham radio operator. If you're not a ham radio operator, you can go to Ustream and watch a video and listen to the audio of it. We talk about astronomy, we talk about what's up in the sky for the week, we talk about International Space Station flyovers, um, and I do a report every week on Curiosity as well as NASA in general, and uh, what else? We talk about news, um, all kinds of Anything stuff. Anything relating to astronomy. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty neat deal, every Saturday night. And single malt scotch. <laughs> And um, so, and actually, I'm going to leaving to go to Lubbock very early in the morning. So I will be participating via Echolink tomorrow night. Um, from Lubbock. <coughs> from Lubbock. <laughs> the amazing amateur radio. Okay. And let's see. And then I'll just leave you with this. This is another self-portrait image of curiosity. Did you learn anything? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. All right. Um.